Hello and welcome to another episode of Dawncast. I'm Dai Lee and thank you for joining me. Today our guest is Ben Farinazzo. I hope I pronounced it right, Ben. <laughs> uh, ben was fighting an internal battle against, uh, you know, against post-traumatic uh, uh, stress disorder, which is PTSD, as depression and anxiety. He then broke his back, his neck, in a mountain bike accident. He described it as walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, but in 2018, Ben went on to represent Australia in indoor rowing and powerlifting at the Sydney Invictus Games and won Australia two gold medals. So, Ben, thank you very much for giving us your time. It's great to be here, Di. Thanks. Yeah. So, Ben, look, you know, from your short brief bio, Hmm. I'm going to go straight to the heart about right. your post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you tell us what happened? Why were you there? Right. So I joined the army when I was about 16 years old and served for a little over a decade. The highlight of my career was going on operational service to East Timor as part of the International Force in East Timor in 99. Oh, yes, yes. So it was fantastic. It was a, it was a tremendous experience. Um, when I came back home, although my boots were back on Australian soil, my mind was still somewhere else. Um, I knew something wasn't quite right. My wife knew straight away that something wasn't quite right, but we didn't know what it was. What I didn't realise at the time was that I was um, suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of my deployment. That went on for about uh, 10 years. It wasn't until, uh, you know, I think it was about 2012, um, the wheels really started falling off. And I jumped on the phone to Lifeline and said, I don't know why I'm calling. And the lady at the other end of the phone said, that's okay, Ben, that's normally how the conversation begins. <laughs> oh. That started a whole process of trying to unravel what had been going on um, and it led me to getting the support I needed, thank God, yeah. Can I ask you um, what caused the PTSD? Yeah, well, when I was diagnosed with PTSD by my doctor, I really didn't know what it was or why I had and I had PTSD. Um, it was caused by uh, the events surrounding the Suai Church Massacre in East Timor and the events surrounding that and witnessing that. At the, at the time, I didn't think that that affected me. Um, it wasn't until later on that um, it started affecting the way that I was sleeping and other behaviours when I got back to Australia. Um, when I was diagnosed with PTSD, I didn't really understand what it was. And I said to my doctor, look, that's fine. I'll treat it like a broken arm and get it fixed and we'll be right to get back to work in a few days' time. And uh, she said, no, Ben, stop. It's not like a broken arm. PTSD is more like cancer. If you don't get this thing treated properly, you can die from it. And I was like, okay, this is a lot more serious than I understood it to be. 
Um, so I had to understand about mental illness and what the different techniques were to manage that and to move through it. So do you think um, now, I mean, this since 1999 and over 12 years having have had to live with that and finally coming to understand that that's what you've been living with, um, have you been able to pinpoint back to what it was that triggered that in the first place? Was it that the massacre um, that you actually saw, but you probably tried to reconcile that or, you know, rationalise that whole thing that you saw? Yeah, look, I wasn't, I was there for the aftermath of the massacre, not for the massacre itself. Um, I think what happened to me is now looking back at it, I found it really hard to reconcile the horrors that humanity could inflict on itself. It kind of tore back that final veil of innocence or hope that you have that humans can be kind and generous to each other and realise how harsh uh, people can treat each other and the depth to which humans can go to inflict horror on themselves. And that really fundamentally affected the way that I saw the world and perceived goodness to be in the world. It took me a long time to work my way back to a point where I could reconnect with, you know, love, kindness and generosity and grace um, to reach a point of joy again. I guess I lost a bit of faith in humanity as a result of that. Yeah, uh, as, as you were saying that, I get a bit of goosebump because I'm thinking of how um, the same like you, you always think about, I always think about the greater goodness of humanity. And yes. I always am looking out for that. There is always that, um, uh, no matter how dark um, a moment is or a person is, I, I always look for that little white spot or that greater goodness. And when it doesn't happen, I can just, you know, you get, for me, I get disappointed. You get a bit heartbroken. Um, uh, and then you kind of try to move on from my perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to obviously for me to relate to your experience of the PTSD, um, but I can just probably relate to it just a tiny little bit and how yeah. your, your, your soul, is that right? Your soul kind of gets crushed? Yeah, you need to learn how to reconcile the, the terror and wonder of being alive. And it takes you on a bit of an adventure. <laughs> and and so when so how do you then went from that from yeah. uh, uh, coming to terms with having PTSD to then um, your I, I believe you broke your back while riding a mountain bike was that was that while you going out there and kind of exercising to keep fit to just get your mind off things? Yeah, well, I was. I got to a point where. My wife found me on the on the floor in the shower and I couldn't talk anymore and I physically was shaking and couldn't couldn't shut my eyes and um, I'd totally lost the capacity to care for myself um, and we're very fortunate that I was able to be taken into the care of trusted professionals into mental health hospitals and 
once you go down that path, I wasn't sure what it looks like at the end. Um, so he navigated the system. We were very fortunate to have uh, some wonderful support with us um, from various individuals and organisations along the way. Um, I ended up being in hospital more or less for uh, mental health hospital, more or less for about a year. Um, every time I tried to come home, I have thoughts of killing myself, irrational thoughts, um, and then have to go back into hospital to try to understand what was happening to my mind and what was happening to my reality. My world was falling apart. Um, every time I came home, it felt like I was overwhelmed by life. It was like staring into the sun and I can only hold my gaze for so long before I had to shut down and go back. I remember I achieved my first goal of getting home for Christmas just to be able to celebrate that after being in hospital for three months. Just remember coming home and seeing my kids and, and Jodie and it was a euphoric experience just to be back at home again after pretty much being in isolation in your own dreams and terrors for so long. Um, and I knew the importance of getting fit, die, and doing exercise because that's what it says all the time. So I went and I was lucky to get a mountain bike for a Christmas present. And as you do when you've been in hospital, not really doing much and a whole range of medications for three months, you decide to go and break a Strava record <laughs> on your uh, mountain bike. God. And uh, those little things that on the packets of medication that says do not you know, operate machinery or drive, you know. There's actually truth in that, but, of course, you know. You ignored it? I, <laughs> I tested that theory. And as I was coming down a hill on my mountain bike, I turned over, I started getting dizzy and a bit shaky. And I came over a small footbridge. My front tyre slipped off the edge. I flew over the handlebars of the the mountain bike into a creek line. And of course, it happened to be one rock die in the bottom of that creek line and hit me straight in the face. Oh, God. Uh, knocked my teeth out, broke my ribs, snapped my neck in two places and my spine in about three places. Um, yeah, I, I like to say I hit rock bottom. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. you did hit rock bottom and you were able yeah. to walk after that? Well, it's amazing what adrenaline does. I just remember my brother-in-law was with me and I just remember holding my neck. I mean, don't do what I did. Anyone watching this, do not do what I did. Stay still and uh, call the, uh, the paramedics to come and get you. But anyway... I ended up getting up and just walking out about a kilometre with my holding my neck, just making sure I was really worried that if I fell over, something was going to not work again. Um, my wife was there to pick me up, and I, as soon as I hit, sat in the seat, then it was like this rush of pain. Oh. Um, and then I couldn't move. Uh, the next thing I kind of remember was I was having a... A, a nightmare of being chased and I was 
turned around and started punching my way out of this nightmare and I heard this voice, um, big fella, don't move. And I was like, and I opened my eyes and it's, it's, the doctor was there. He said, look, do not move. You're breaking your neck in two places, your back in three places. If you move, you could become a quadriplegic or die. Oh, God. Jesus. So I went, all right. So I lay pretty still. Oh, my God. I was really pissed off, die. I was really pissed off. I thought to myself, I've worked so hard to keep myself from killing myself for so long, and in a split second, my life could almost be taken away. Yeah, and I didn't want that to happen. I thought, no. Yeah, so, you, so, so you laid still, still, just completely. Uh, I was mentally, physically shattered. I couldn't move. My mind was just all over the place. Uh, um, and I was alone. In, alone, in, I guess, not physically alone. Everyone was around me, but I just totally isolated myself. Um, that's a point in my life I talk about then taking the plunge and dropping into the darkness. And it's hard to describe, but the only words I can find are like walking through the shadow of the valley of death. And in there, You know, seeing sounds strange, I know, but like a spark. And and I remember just, you know, when you light a fire as a kid, like you, yeah. you get a little fire and you breathe on it gently and it comes up into a little flame. And I remember just nurturing this little this spark and just, and I realised, again, it sounds that that spark was me. And I just needed to nurture it and care for it and bring it back to life. I thought if I brought it back to life, what would I do with it? <laughs> what do you do when you, when you come back? I don't know. So how long? Everyone's got their ideas on what they would do when they came back. So how long were you in that, in that um, in the hospital to recover physically, first of all? And, and how did you um, slowly, you know, Feel, you know, give air, give oxygen to that spark, to that little spark that you saw, that you created. First part of the question, I, uh, I can't remember. I think I might have been, the whole year I kind of, is a blur. Um, uh, I think I was in hospital for only a few weeks before I went home and Jody took me home and I was in a full body cast with a headset um, and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't feed myself, couldn't wipe my own backside. My kids had to help me. I mean, and I talk about being brought right back down to earth. <laughs> There's nothing like a big rock hitting you in the face. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was staring into that flame and thinking, 
if I ever got back, what I'd like to do. Is kiss my wife, hug my kids, touch the grass, feel the wind, try pineapple on pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Italians. Maybe I'll get in a rowing boat again, and I'd love to get on a rowing boat and sit out on the water and just watch a sunrise come up and just go, you know. And that, I thought, if I got to do that again, that would be fantastic, fantastic, yeah. And not only did you go rowing, but you went to row to win two medals for Australia. Yeah, well, that was kind of unexpected. That That wasn't part of the plan. (laughs) (laughs) You thought you're going to get up, you're going to go rowing, and then you thought, might as well row for the medals. Yeah, I was I was very lucky that as part of I eventually got I remember that moment of getting back in that water and seeing the sunrise come up, and I just was so happy to be alive. And I thought all I need to do is keep nurturing this this body and this mind, and I need for it to just keep going for as long as it can to experience what it's like to be a human for as long as I can to. You know, harbour my spirit into this world as long as I can. And I met a few people who are doing some training with other veterans in the veteran community. And I'd been out of the military community for a long time. And they said, look, we train for this thing called Invictus Games. And I, okay, well, it sounds pretty good. What is it? And they're like, oh, it's a sporting event for wounded veterans um i mean you learn they give you the media stuff and and you learn to say like it's an international multi-sport event for uh wounded injured nil veterans and you say it so many times that it doesn't mean anything Mm. until you know the governor gives you your green and gold uniform and you're standing there looking across at team canada us ukraine and realize, and Romania, and you're realizing, oh my God, this is like an Olympic Games of veterans. Yeah. What am I doing here? <laughs> yeah, I um, had real imposter syndrome, and you know, there's Anna Mears and Ian Thorpe, and I'm like, you know, dad in his mid forties walking around. <laughs> it, it was. Uh, it was an experience I describe as tears, goosebumps, and hugs. And it wasn't just a life changing experience, it was a life saving experience, though. Yeah. Because you worked really hard, didn't you? You pushed your body like you. I mean, I've seen some of the photos of you training very hard because mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, uh, would you describe yourself as a very athletic, fit person before uh, you, know, you got into the Invictus Games? Oh, look, I would like to say that, but no. Um, <laughs> I was just a, a guy who, you know, struggled to get to the gym, was busy working long hours, probably drinking more wine and beer than I should have. Um, would start going to the gym for a few days and I'd get too busy and do other things. Um, I was 
but I really had to, as part of my recovery, give attention to my, myself. Um, I started off by just learning how to lift a stick again because I couldn't, I had to re learn to reuse my body and learn how to walk um, again. Um, do bench press with a stick, which is <laughs> quite funny when you're in a gym with all these big, strong people taking their Instagram photos and you're in there with a stick. Um, with the, heavy, with the and, heavy weights on the with the heavy weights on the end of the stick, obviously, or, or no? Not no, yet, it was yet. just starting trying to lift the stick up to hold it up like that. Um, but then I kept we kept coming back, and I had wonderful support. Kept coming back, and then each then I worked my way up to a bar, and then we put a, a kilo on, a kilo on, and then I started taking a few more steps. Um, few more breaths and breath by breath, step by step, kilo by kilo, I found my way back to a point where I was strong enough to carry groceries up the stairs and eventually, you know, 150 kilo bars and wow. uh, 200 kilo bars. And so I think consistency was the key, but winning was never the goal. It was always about just doing the best that I could and trying to say, keep my body in the best condition that I could so I could do things like go for walks around the lake and, you know, walk up and down stairs um, and just to just engage with life um, because I'd realised for so long I hadn't given myself the right nurturing and attention and, and I had no choice now. I needed to do that. Yeah. So do you think um, being getting yourself fit for the games, for the Invictus game in 2018, how much of that really also helped with your recovery uh, in terms of your mental health recovery process? Great question. Look, I often talk about the healing power of sport. Um, there's a physical aspect to it, but the mind and body are connected. So... The way you nurture your body affects what happens with your mind. Um, being active, the endorphins you get from that, the, the blood flow, the oxygen to your brain, all that helps you to remain in balance or you know, within your window of tolerance, how to stay connected with life. But more than that, it gives you an opportunity to connect with others and the world around you. Uh, it gets you out there into the world and maybe standing next to someone having a conversation with them and hearing their stories and realising that you're not alone. Everyone's got their challenges. Everyone's got their struggles. And uh, we can forget that sometimes. And But that whole process going through the Invictus Games made me realise a couple of things. Firstly, everyone's got their story, die, And you never know when you meet someone what their story truly is. So take time to listen. Also, behind everyone's story is a person who loves and cares for them. 
and the amount of carers I saw around this country and the world that stand by people that suffer every day, they ask for nothing. They just give their love unconditionally. And, you know, I just, my heart reaches out to those people. In my case, my hero is my wife and my kids. Without them, I'd be dead. But I'm not, I'm here. And I just want to say thanks to not only them, but to everyone that supported them and wrapped around my family to give us a fighting chance at another shot at life. Um, that is an important um, point that you've raised in terms of the support um, that's provided for people who suffer um, or who've been diagnosed with a mental health um, illness. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there, uh, you know, government, there, there are not enough obviously hospitals uh, there's not enough rooms in those hospitals to be to treat some of the the mental health patients that are there's so many people that are i've noticed and i've heard the the increasing numbers of people that that have been diagnosed with mental health um so so for those who are able to support to the support like your family how important is it then for them to have also support um for them to actually to be able to support you do you know what i mean and is there enough uh, resources yeah. there to support you as well as your family, your carers? Yeah, look, the way I've seen society move in Australia is one from where families would take on that burden of responsibility of caring for those members of their families who are unwell. And we've moved to a systems type of thinking where we now look at building systems and procedures where we hand them over to hospitals and aged care facilities and the like to take care of them. Both work, but both work need to work together. The conversation on mental health is a relatively new one. When I became ill back in 2000, there wasn't a, really a discussion on mental health. The only now, people who had, you know, veterans who had PTSD were Vietnam veterans or maybe some of the guys that had just come back from Rwanda or the like. But when I thought something might have been wrong, I was like, no, mate, you know, you weren't in long term. You'll be all right. I thought, all right, maybe I'm just making it up. The conversation has evolved, particularly within the last five years, and I'm happy to give my voice to that. on behalf of those people who are in hospitals around this country at homes and are unable to speak up about it. Those people that I've shared, you know, rooms with in hospitals and seen them, you know, that voice is growing and it's getting louder. What we are seeing is systems and processes coming together around Australia to support that. But in saying that, this is a generational thing. There's so much more that still needs to be done. Um, my focus is on education to make sure that we talk about mental health and the same we talk about, you know, physical health. It's all part of a, your overall health and being as a human being. There shouldn't be a distinction. We're slowly cutting through those uh, thin veils of misunderstanding and communication to get the message in. Look, absolutely. I think 
as you, you you've just said, uh, we are now discussing and having a conversation around mental health more more read, readily than before. But I think from um, coming from a culturally and linguistically diverse background, so are you, by the way. But I, I probably am more uh, uh, still ethnic than you, even though you've got a <laughs> Italian surname. Um, the name like that's a bloody good Aussie name, guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a good Aussie name now. But like people, I find that when, when we talk about, when I talk about mental health to the community that I speak um, to, it's still a taboo subject. So for instance, talking with you, who you, you're very open to dis- discussing that you've had PTSD and you, you're able, you look normal, you sound normal, if you know what I mean. Um, but there's still this stigma attached to those who are either arrived here as refugees or migrants and who, who've, whose, whose children were born here, uh, second generation, the, the concept of mental health is not very well embraced. Um, so what's your suggestion in that? How, how can we have a discussion, a conversation around, conversation, not discussion, a conversation around mental health to these groups, a cohort, or this co- cohort of, of people in our community? Look, trying to have a conversation with my uh, grandparents about this sort of stuff probably wouldn't work anymore. Uh, uh, they would just love me and feed me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't understand. <laughs> they wouldn't understand. Yeah. Uh, and I think also the way that we're positioned to society in our age, it's pretty hard for those in their middle ages to come to terms with some of the mental gymnastics of being able to talk about these things while still trying to keep hold of their job relationships and the rest of it, but we're doing it. Where I'd like to see is down at the schools and for kids to talk about it. So when we're talking about it at schools and look, I'm no expert on this stuff and I'm sure there's people already doing it somewhere. I just want to be able to see our kids talking about it like uh, you talk about other illnesses or injuries in life Um, and that if you're not doing too well, then you speak to your friends about it, you speak to your parents about it and your uncles and aunties and your cousins and then go and see a doctor and get the help that you need so you get back on the bike, get back to school, get back to the, you know, the footy field, do whatever your netball courts and just get back on with it, you know, rather than then, you know, building up, building up and the shame and the guilt building up so that, you know, you end up like me. (laughs) <laughs> 40 years old in a mental health hospital don't do that don't do that yeah but uh but you are talking about it now though isn't it i mean you are also you're an educator like you said that what you're an ambassador for for mental health and and for the veterans yeah. and for sport so you are talking about it um and i suppose you are being a role model because we don't have enough role models. That's another thing. Role models who can display that be yeah. your your different, but you are still doing something in a public space in order to break down that barrier of, of that breakdown, that perception of what is or what isn't mental health. What does it look like? You know, what do I what do people with mental health sound like? Well, they sound like you. No. Oh, look, I tell you what. Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there who probably got mental health issues that, you know, haven't put their hand up. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, once you know what you're looking for, it, it, it's everywhere. And, uh, you know, yeah, life can be challenging. I mean, life is tough. We all need a, a hand. And I think 
you know, it doesn't mean that you're, you're broken for life or that it defines you, you know. It, you just embrace it, give it as much love as you can, and then you keep moving forward. Um, like, you, you, I think, yeah, it's hard for some people to come to terms with that, but, you know, unless you open your mind to get into that space, to ask yourself some hard questions, you're never going to move yourself out of the pit. So you said that your wife and your children have been a great supporter and has, you know, who've been there for yeah. you through this period. Um, who else would you credit for getting you to where you are today? Um, geez. I've got a list as long as my arm. I feel like this is going to be an Oscar speech. Uh, look, mum and dad, you know. Um, I've got my my physios down at Matrix Physio who who put the chassis back together like I was a bastard unit. Um, and they they invested a lot of time rebuilding me. Um, look, I, so do you go my, to, my counsellor, counsellor, um, my GP, um, a GP for listening to me, taking the time to listen to me and not listen to my BS when I walk in there and say, oh, I just need a tablet because I'm not sleeping anymore, everything will be all right. And she goes, hey, just take a seat, Ben. Let's have a, let's actually find out why you're not sleeping and I'm tapping my watch. And she said, no, no, Lifeline. Look, amazing organisation. If you've got a spare... Gold coin in your pocket, you know, toss it their, their way. They're, they're saving lives every day and they're good people. Um, look, Soldier on Australia embraced me. But there's so many people, like I said, the list is as long as my arm. All I can say is that, you know, Australia embraced me through this Invictus Games. Our team were magnificent and uh, I love the veterans communities and I love seeing where people are going. I just want to make sure that they don't end up like some of us, you know, slightly damaged individuals. We can avoid that. We can avoid that. So would you see yourself as a damaged individual today? Oh, yeah, I carry the scars, Di. There is no doubt. I've got a few scars there. But, you know, I reckon they made me a bit tougher. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, look, I, you know, there's other ways that I could have done life, but this is what it is. Um, it's taught me new lows, but it's taught me new highs. Um, it's taught me to appreciate a greater depth of what it's like to be alive. Some of it wasn't so good. Uh, some of the things I'd like to, you know, if I did it again, I probably, you know, probably would have changed it. I probably wouldn't have driven my bike off a bridge. Um, <laughs> but what happens, you just breathe through it and you, you know, just keep going. Um, you were uh, uh, receiving something just a few weeks ago in regards to, or you were part of Soldier, is that Soldier On, that there was some, yeah. uh, what was that, tell us, what was that whole Soldier On presentation that I saw you oh, in social media? Can you, I, you want to share that? Uh, is that the one up at visiting ScoMo, up at Parliament House, that That's one? That's it. That's the one <laughs> with ScoMo. <laughs> yeah, look, um, look, that was a, 
Look, I get invites to come along to say g'day to people and shine the light on a few things happening. That was a wonderful initiative as part of the Soldier on Employment Pathways program. So here we had IBM Australia coming together with Soldier On to create employment and career pathways for veterans and their families. I mean, there was a lovely girl there who was a wife of a veteran who was a, a, a virgin pilot who's lost her job because of this coronavirus. Um, and that's all she's ever known. But as a result of this collaboration between IBM and Soldier On, she's able to get online, upskill, get the courses she required, save herself 10, 15,000 bucks in the process, thanks to IBM, and look at a way to transition to a new career. I mean, so how can you not sh help shine a light on good people doing good things like that? You know, uh, fortunately, Di, there are people out there that are smarter than me who know how to put all this together. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm just grateful that I get a chance to go along and shake a few hands and say thank you to them for what they're doing. And I was really pleased that our Prime Minister took some time out of his tremendously busy calendar at the moment to help recognise the efforts of everyone who pulled that collaboration together. So that, that was terrific. So for you now, um, what's your, uh, I suppose, um, plan? Like, are there, what's the next, what's the next, Invictus game project, Invictus like game project for Ben Farage Naso. Um, I don't think I have one, Di. I mean, Invictus games wasn't meant to happen in my life. I mean, that was just a a bonus. <laughs> I'm just happy to be alive. Um, I don't know. I like playing around with life. I like doing a bit of art now. Um, I still like doing my exercise. Um, I don't know. I kind of like venturing out into the world with a child with big eyes and seeing what little things can happen. And there are always people doing wonderful things. I just like to connect them together. So if I see, you know, different people working in the mental health of veterans space or the sports space, everyone's working hard, you know, maybe I can help just try to link a few of them up so they can work a little less hard and achieve a little bit more. And what's your advice um, for those who are going through some, um, you know, mental health issues at the moment? I think in particular for, uh, I don't know if you've heard about the increase in, in young people in particular suffering from mental health due to COVID and all of the news that we're seeing and all the negativity. What are your advice for those who are going through some kind of internal turmoil and how do they cope with that? So many good questions, Di. Look, I think the first thing is that we've kind of forgotten somewhere along the way that we're more than just this, you know. Um, and sometimes we need a little bit of help to remind us how magnificent we truly are. And we find ourselves instead isolated and disconnected from ourselves and everyone around us. If you're in that dark space, don't believe it because there are people out there who care for you. There's call 13, 11, 14, call Lifeline. There are lovely, lovely women and men who have the experience on the end of those phones that'll help you in the same way they did to me. Go and see your GP. 
go and ask your family doctor. If you don't have one, get one and ask for a bit of help. It's okay. We all need a little bit of help. And everything that you learn, you can then pass on to the next poor bloke or even pass it on to your kids so that they learn to be better than us and we can grow a more resilient, stronger generation for this country in the future. Whatever, you just keep going. Just keep going, die. You never know what's waiting around the corner. Everyone's got a little Invictus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> around the corner. You just got to keep get going. Just get there. Thank you so much for that, Ben. Um, thank you for giving us your time. And uh, to our audience, that was Ben Farinazzo, a wonderful, big-hearted Invictus game winner, two gold medals for Australia, as well as a mental health supporter, ambassador for mental health veterans and sport, and himself, uh, who he himself diagnosed as uh, suffering from PTSD. So thank you for watching us. And please, if you want to hear more stories like this, stories that don't trigger you, stories that actually give you insights and perspectives of lived experiences, please click on the link below, that's that little bell, and subscribe to our Dawncast channel. In the meantime, I'm Di Lee, and I hope you can join us again next time. Thank you, Ben. See ya. Catch ya.